Bulimia sucks, but you don't, and here's why. The Bulimia Sucks podcast with Kate Hudson Hall will teach you how to begin breaking through the multitude of thoughts, feelings, triggers, and urges to empower yourself to change your painful behaviors completely. You will hear proven strategies and solutions to help you in your recovery, including real interviews with real people. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calm this. Check it out now on Amazon. And now... Another episode of Bulimia Sucks, the podcast. Hello and welcome to Bulimia Sucks. I'm Kate Hudson-Hall and thank you for listening. So this channel is all about real stories from people who are suffering or have suffered with an eating disorder. So this podcast is about life with an eating disorder, and it's a platform for people to share relatable, uplifting, and inspiring conversations based on bulimia and anorexia. Each episode will include their very personal stories about where they are now and their journeys, their difficult journeys, and their steps taken into recovering from their eating disorder. So our guest today is Elizabeth. Elizabeth has a YouTube channel called Arise From Ashes, where you're doing motivational speaking and sharing things that she's learned that have helped her in her recovery journey. So welcome, Elizabeth. Thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Hello. So let's start and let me ask you, to tell me about a funniest experience that you can think of. Oh my goodness. Okay. So this is actually a really easy one. So I have four kids and my husband and I, one year were taking our kids trick-or-treating and we were in one of the little local areas that we usually went. I think my uh, Aaron was probably about eh, seven, maybe somewhere around there. So it was pretty little yeah. and uh, we were all going around well, there was this one place that had like a table set out where they had the candy set up. They had a, a big lid and the guy, Aaron, went up and all him and the other kids are like trick or treat. And the guy pulls the lid open and there's this guy's head in there. Aaron got scared to pieces, turned around, ran, knocked the table over. All the candy went everywhere. Me and my husband and the other kids are standing on one spot and he's tearing off going down the other. I'm like, Aaron, <laughs> come back. And it was hilarious. That would have to be one of my funniest memories. Oh, I love it. That is so funny. Oh, that's excellent. Excellent. So, okay. So Elizabeth, so tell me from the beginning about your journey with your eating disorder. Oh my. Um, well, it's been a 38 year long journey for me. Uh, I had a bunch of trauma when I was a child and then actually it kind of followed me around everywhere I went, uh, teenage and so on. And because of that is, you know, when I started having issues with eating, it was the constant need to feel empty. So when you were and, a teenager, uh, it's taken me a um, actually, no, it probably started. I was probably about six or seven when the eating disorder actually started. Right. And then it just kind of progressed throughout the years. Right. So that was after the trauma that you 
suffered. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Okay. So then it so then by the time you were, I suppose, a teenager, then it had really sort of got its grip. Yeah. And then and then too, a lot of things happened as a teen as well that just kind of reinforced it, reinstated those those feelings that, you know, I wasn't meant for anything more than what I was getting, uh, that I was useless, that I was worthless, I had no purpose, you know, I just wanted to disappear so guys would stop noticing me and let me alone. So just the repetitiveness of the fact that, you know, I've had trauma throughout my life has just kind of continued to reinforce and reinstate all those feelings. Gosh. So what happened? So then you were in your 20s. And when did you meet your husband then? Um, I was actually married when I met my husband, uh, me and my ex-husband were still together. Um, my husband now, uh, Terry, him and I became really good friends. Uh, my ex-husband was an alcoholic and beat me a lot. I was married to him for about six years, but technically we didn't get divorced till nine. Cause I had this whole process I had to go through, yeah. but that was, you know, my, my husband now, Terry, uh, he's been like my saving grace, you know, as far as him and my kids have been like the glue that's held me together. Like they're the only, there were so many times that I was sitting on the back porch with a handful of pills because I was so depressed and I didn't want to live. I mean, I decided as a young child that I wanted to die. And the way I, you know, when you're a kid, everybody tells you, oh, you got to eat to be healthy. Well, get that in your mind. Okay. Well, I got to eat to be healthy. If I don't eat, then maybe I'll die. And I wanted to die. So naturally that's where my mind went, you know, and that's part of, you know, why I struggle with the, I've struggled with eating disorders so bad. There's a little bit more to it, but it, it gets kind of intense. So I don't, there's a lot more to it. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. So where, so where are you now? with regards to the eating disorder? Um, right now, I, I'm in recovery right now. I don't have, I'm not perfect. You know, I still have my days where I mess up, but I also look at, like I told you earlier, I also look at recovery a little bit different too. Yes, it's about the behaviors, you know, yes, it's about the, the purging, the starving, the, you know, if you're whatever, it's about the behaviors. But for me personally, I think that it's more about how you're doing with your your mind and your thoughts and how you're handling those and learning to deal with those because as you know being somebody that has struggled with depression and never wanting to live and always feeling hopeless and worthless and you know my biggest thing is once i learn how to deal with those thoughts and all that negativity inside then and only then can i deal with the eating disorder yeah, because it's yeah. all connected. Yeah. Wow. What do you What do you feel has been the hardest part of your journey? There's a couple of things actually. One would be looking now and looking back. My biggest regret, or my biggest not regret, but I think the hardest part for me now, looking back, is knowing what it did to my family. You know, I had kids that would come back to the bathroom and peek in the shower because I passed out. You know, I had kids and, you know, my husband wanted to move where we're at now because he wanted to bury me here. 
So he wanted me to die here. You know, he was planning for that. My kids would go to school and not come and come home and not know if I was going to be alive. You know, looking back now, that was the hardest part. If you had asked me what the hardest part then would be, it would probably be facing recovery because I didn't feel like I had an identity without the eating disorder because it was so intertwined, so connected. Yeah. So it kind of, that question kind of depends on when you're looking at, you know, what the hardest part's been, whether how you answer it really. Yeah. You know, if you could turn back time to that seven-year-old you, what, what would you, what would you, what would you tell her? Obviously, first and foremost, I would tell her that it's not her fault. You know, the things that happened to her wasn't her fault and that choosing to deal with it the way she's, she's dealt with it uh, is not getting her anywhere, you know, because other than, you know, the one thing that I've, I've learned is I always knew that the eating disorder was tied to the trauma, but I didn't exactly know, you know, the direct correlation between the two. And it wasn't until 2013 that I learned that. After I learned that, then I was able to, I don't know, for lack of better word, manipulate my eating a little, a little bit to where I wasn't getting, reaching those trigger points. And so probably, like I said, I mean, just basically telling her that. So in 2013, that's when you realized that there was a connection between the two. Yeah. So what do you mean by manipulating your thoughts? Okay. Well, okay. So the way that the eating disorder was for me personally, now everybody's not the same, obviously, Mm. you know, but for me personally, because it had to do with trauma. Well, as things were happening to me, I always felt like I was full, full of stuff that didn't belong, full of stuff that wasn't supposed to be there. Yeah. So when I ate and I got full, yeah. it triggered that trauma, you know? Um, so in, yeah, that makes sense. Throughout my whole journey, right. And throughout my whole journey, I knew that the two were, you know, connected, but I didn't exactly know how. In 2000, in 2013, I went to a hospital in Louisiana called River Oaks. I did, I was looking, I was really bad. I was looking for somewhere to deal with trauma and eating disorder. And I wasn't really having any luck. Finally, I found them. They said, come on down. So my husband drove me down. I spent five weeks on the eating disorder unit and they wanted to send me home. And I'm like, no, I can't go home. Well, you need to go home because if you go over and start dealing with the trauma right away, you'll go back into, you know, not eating right. And I'm like, look, I demanded a meeting with my treatment team. And I said, you guys don't understand. If you send me home now without dealing with this, I will go right back to the eating disorder because that was how I always was in the past. So I what, already what did had they have like to, 20 hospital stays. So Elizabeth, what did they have to deal with? Um, well, after, after I had that meeting, then I was able to go over to the trauma unit. So I spent another three months down there and that's where and it you really dove into the trauma hardcore you know and that's like i said that's where i learned that connection now as far as the what i told you earlier manipulating my eating because i was able to figure out that the full sensation of eating is what triggered the eating disorder in my case i was able to eat smaller amounts to where i wasn't getting that full feeling Yeah. You know, that's the whole manipulating part of it. You know, 
Oh, I see. Not a bad thing, but once you figure out that direct correlation, yeah. sometimes you can use that to help you figure out a way to yeah. get around work, it. Work and, around it. you know, so right, that, exactly. So that, so just so I understand, so um, that full feeling, physical full feeling of food connect was connected to the the abuse and right. the, the full feeling of all the negative emotions connected with the abuse okay yeah between that and actually you know stuff being put places that it, it didn't belong if you get my drift oh the physical yeah. yeah the physical feelings as well okay Wow. So that's, that was a huge, that was amazing, you know, yeah. point in your recovery then. Yeah. That, that I would have to say would be the turning point in my recovery. I mean, before that I was going into the hospital anytime from one to five times every year, anywhere from a week to, or well, two weeks was the shortest stay, but anywhere from two weeks up to three months, you know, up to five times a year. Like I was never home in 2013 after that stay, I believe I went down to once a year, you know, so that was a huge turning point. Oh, wow. And then in 2000, let's see, 2015, I had actually went two years without being impatient, but I had another event happen in 2018 where I was raped and that put me back just kind of set me back, you know, and then I ended up back inpatient in 2018, but I've been out since. So yeah, yeah proud of myself. Good. I never thought, I never thought that I'd be where I'm at now. Never in a million years. Oh, that's fantastic. I, I think that's, it. I think, I think that's why I spend so much time trying to reach out and trying to, like I, I told you before, like I spend a lot of time, well, I don't spend a lot of time, but I'm on a eating disorder recovery site. Yeah. And every once in a while, things will pop up on my feed. Now, I don't go looking at those sites, particularly, because I don't see the point in a lot of the posts, like, you know, people post about what's your, what's your triggers? What's this? What's that? You know, what foods do you not like? Blah, 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 blah. But then they don't give you any way of coping with anything. They just lay it all out there. And then everyone's reading it. I'm like, okay, now I'm triggered. So now what do I do? Mm -hmm. You know, like, so I don't, particularly go looking on the sites but every once in a while something will pop up on my feed and I'll be like hey I've got something good to say to that so then I'll respond to it yeah. you know and basically that's kind of my way of reaching out and the same thing with the YouTube channel you know I've been I don't know I've always been one to like reach out and help out even when I wasn't doing good it kind of made me feel like I was doing something worthwhile yeah, yeah. so it's kind of you know, I don't know. I feel like I got a lot to say and I'm writing a book. So, so, so tell us about your YouTube channel. It's called Arise from Ashes. I love that. And so basically the name kind of says, kind of says it all, you yeah. know, um, and all the videos are done in black and white because as anybody that has suffered with depression or, you know, like the eating disorder, we have black and white mind frame. Yeah. It's either all or it's nothing. Yeah. You're either good enough or you're not worth crap. You know, it's just, it's just that all or nothing thinking. So, and I'm also an artist and I've been doing a lot of black and gray art lately as well. And it's kind of like a theme with me, I guess, because 
I have learned to see the beauty that lies within the darkness, you know, and I've, I've learned to see that, you know, as far as like the name arise from ashes, like I was destroyed. I mean, I, I was not worth any, I, maybe that's not how I want to put it, but like, you know, I would, I would wake up in the morning, not look forward to getting out of bed you know and now i realize hey you wake up and you feel like crap you got a choice you got a choice you can either sorry you can either stay in bed and be miserable all day long or you can get up out of bed and maybe potentially something will happen that day that'll make your day a little better you know so it's it's learning to you know see the beauty that lies within all that crap yeah. And then my favorite story about that one was my daughter, because my daughter, she woke up, she's a teenager. She woke up one day and she was really depressed. And she's like, mom, I don't want to go anywhere or stay in bed. And I'm like, Lexi, get up. Let's go. Let's go to the store. You know, so we went to Michael's art store with me. <laughs> so we went to Michael's and she's walking along the grass and she looks down and she picks up a rock that somebody had painted and put like a, a quote on it it was something that they used to do a lot around where we lived and totally her face and the rest of the day she was in such a good mood just because of that rock yeah and I look at her and that's like a perfect example you know because if she would have stayed in bed all day long then nothing would have ever happened to change her mood you know you have to be willing to you know see past all that so what do you tell yourself if you're, if you're not feeling very positive when you wake up? Well, I have a couple of different things that I actually do. Uh, one is I realize uh, it's mainly just all in my mind. There's nothing actually that I do per se. But one thing is that, you know, um, I, I don't know if you've ever heard of ride the wave, yeah. okay? but I've never surfed in my life. Okay. But I'm a very visual person. So one thing I started doing was, um, when I'm feeling that way, I'll put myself out on a surfboard in the middle of the ocean. You know, the waves coming at me are those negative emotions. those negative feelings. My goal while I'm on that surfboard is to stay on my surfboard and you know, not fall off and falling off would be using symptoms, purging, you know, self-harm, the, you know, the starving, you know, any of the symptoms that I've used. Yeah. So that would be like me falling off my surfboard. So my goal in all that is just to stay on my surfboard and realize that just like the waves coming, you know, those negative feelings will pass. Yeah. I just have to stay yeah. stable while I'm going through them. Yeah. And that's one of the things that I use. That's one of the things that I use. The that's most. fantastic. Another I thing about, is, sorry, I, I talk about, um, what, the way that I describe it in my book is it's urge surfing. So and it's all connected to mindfulness and mindfulness mm -hmm. and right. turning towards those negative feelings, whatever they are, and learning to ride those waves. Right. Yep. Yeah. And the more that you can over time and sit and allow those, those urges, those waves to come, because they will come and then they mm -hmm. will pass. It's just like being in the right. ocean, isn't it? And the waves come bumbling yep. in and then they exactly back. And that's what happens. So mm -hmm. the longer that you can sit there on your surfboard and allow those waves to come and turn towards them, 
the the more that mm-hmm. they will begin to quieten down and recede and it's quite right. it's a real interesting pathway because it does work it's fantastic oh yeah oh 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 yeah it does that's like anytime i'm like reaching out to somebody or you know like uh, talking to somebody else that's struggling and it, is having a hard time those are some of the things that the, some of the first things that I tell them, you know, is about riding the wave is about the mindfulness, you know, instead of concentrating on your thoughts and your feelings, concentrate on the chair beneath your butt, you know, concentrate yeah. on anything the air else. blowing across your face, you know, anything else, because any of the positives, because that'll, that'll make you look less towards the negative. So, yeah. So mindfulness is just so listeners understand if they don't know. So mindfulness is all about paying attention on purpose in the present moment. And it's been a big word out there for a few years, hasn't it? But it's mm-hmm. the simplest thing that you can do. And it's all about just yep. keeping that one focus and staying with that one focus and your mind will wander off, but it's being aware that it's wandered off and bringing it back to that, whatever it is you're focusing on, right. on your hands, just looking at all the different. Mm-hmm. So it's stopping all of that negative chatter in your mind. It's a fantastic tool yep. to be able to give yourself a break. Oh, it is. It's like the f- pressing the pause button of your mind. The first <laughs> right. The first time I heard about mindfulness, I was like, I got to admit, I was sitting there. I was like, you got to be kidding me. Yeah. What? <laughs> and then after I started using it, I was like, oh my gosh, this works. Yeah. Like, it's awesome. And they've done so much research now since the two, early 2000s of how beneficial it is. And there's lots of different research like this, but taking groups of people that have never practiced mindfulness and doing MRI scans on their brains and then having them practice mm-hmm. an eight-week mindfulness course and then doing an MRI scan afterwards. And they found these huge, amazing positive changes in the brain, like the prefrontal cortex, which is the part of the brain that controls your everyday thinking, your concentration, that part mm-hmm. become thicker and your awareness. And the part, the amygdala, which is the part that controls the anxious state, the fight or flight, it's right. that nervous Jack. state, that part had shrunk. So they found all this and there was a lot, there's, there's so much other evidence how powerful mindfulness is, how it can really make mm-hmm. physical changes. Anyway, carry on. So what was it's the amazing. other thing? It is. When you wake up in the morning, so you'll practice your, um, your surfing. So I do my surfing. Um, oh, the, the other thing that I do, being one that has had so many negative feelings, and you know, like I said said earlier, like I would, I would see so many nights I would be out on the back porch with a bottle full of pills ready to take them, and the only thing that would stop me from taking them is, you know, I think about my kids, and I didn't want to leave that legacy to my children having a mother that you know committed suicide, so I would just like spit them out or put them away and be like okay and now looking back like I used to always judge my feelings for being right or wrong and be like I shouldn't be feeling this way and then I'd feel guilty for feeling them and then I try to fix them and if you're feeling something you can't change that you have to learn to adjust to it you know 
And so now what I do is when I'm feeling negative, I don't try to change my feelings. I don't, tr- I don't look at it and think that it's a right feeling or it's a wrong feeling and, you know, whatever. I accept it. Acceptance has been a huge, 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 huge factor in recovery for me because learning to accept that, you know, once you accept, then you can move on. You know, and that kind of goes with the trauma too. You know, I have learned to forgive and <laughs> sorry, <laughs> I have learned to, <laughs> yeah, he's like, I got to be known. Absolutely. I want to come So, in. but, <laughs> but, you know, so that also has been, like I said, I mean, there's not a whole lot that I do uh, physically or like tangibly as far as helping my mind goes it's more the thought process it's more you know years ago I would never I swear I would never in a thousand whatever think that I'd be sitting here talking to you and feeling so good about myself you know like never and it's just it's it's I don't know yeah. I'm, I'm happy. You know, I never thought I'd see happiness. Never. I was always the kid that, you know, I would lay out in the fields and watch the buzzards circling and sit there and go, ha ha, trying to call them in because I was so miserable and I wanted them to carry me away. Yeah. That's how I remember being not where I'm at now. Yeah. Jack. <laughs> so the mindfulness aside, what other resources have really helped you in your recovery? Okay, so a good one. And this goes back to 2013 when I was at River Oaks in uh, Louisiana. There was a girl that I was in there with. I don't remember. Well, I do remember her name. But um, so anyway, one of the things that I've always struggled with was my, you know, as eating disorder patients, many of us struggle with our body images. Oh, yeah and how we see ourselves and what we see ourselves, you know, and your mind is like a computer, you know, once it's programmed a certain way or to have those core thoughts and those core beliefs, it is hard to reprogram that, you know, so my core beliefs because of the trauma and because I was bullied in school, you know, I had a couple of friends, but I, I was always made fun of and, you know, I was always crying. And uh, so because of all that, it was in my mind, you know, I had that core belief that, you know, I'm worthless. I'm not any good. I'm ugly. I'm, you know, just all that. I, 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 my husband and I, when we got married, you know, he'd look at me and tell you, tell me that I was beautiful. I'm laugh at him. I was like, okay. Or, uh, he'd tell me he loved me. And I'm like, why? I didn't see why anybody would love somebody like me. Yeah. And uh, so one of the things that I was telling you about, and there's a way that I had learned to reprogram my mind, the more positivity that you see and that you read, the more it affects your mind. So I had a friend down there and she did up these note cards and she designed them real cool. And I'm artistic. So that was awesome for me. And we did these note cards. And whenever I got home, I had note cards on every cabinet, you know, things that would say, uh, you know, I have the potential to be beautiful or now I had to change that one a little bit because right then and there, I couldn't say I'm beautiful and believe it. So I'm trying to trick the words up to make it a little bit more believable to me, but I had positive affirmations on every cabinet 
on, I had dry erase markers and I wrote on my mirrors. I changed it out every week, uh, the entrance to every doorway. So like they were everywhere. Yeah. Now, the good thing with that is not only was I reading those every day. Yeah, I may not believe them, but they're constantly in your face. So the more you see them, the more your mind you know, it tricks your mind into, and then you start actually believing them. Yeah. And I, I used to wear big baggy sweatpants think, and big baggy. So I think that that's really, that's really important that our listeners understand that, that so your, uh, your mm-hmm. subconscious mind will see, even though your conscious mind may not always notice those note cards around those positive note cards, but your unconscious mind will. Right. Will and your unconscious mind will mm-hmm. go. Oh, so why are why are these everywhere? Oh, yes, yes, yes. That's what we're doing. So we're we're going to be reading them and focusing on on what that what each one is saying. Mm-hmm. We're going to get into that positive direction. Right. So that is how she wants me to help her. She wants me to help mm-hmm. her by focusing on you know whatever it is positive that was on that note. So therefore, it's right. helping to reinforce. Right the direction that you want to go in so that's fantastic that you did that because mm-hmm. affirmations are yeah it took it oh yeah and it took it took years to get to the point where you know I was able to change the one that says I have the potential to be beautiful into I am beautiful <laughs> it, but it it's a slow process because you got to admit, you know, if you're trying to reprogram your mind into something that you've believed your entire life, it's going to take some time. Absolutely. So, you know, it was a slow process, but it did definitely help. You know? Yeah. Yeah. And I think um, with regards to the feeling worthless and that negative belief that it's working with that. It's first of all, it's being aware that that's how you're thinking and then turning that around and beginning to change that belief mm-hmm. into something right. positive. And there's a whole right. like NLP technique that you can do to work with that and with the, with the negative belief that you have and turn that around and start to think differently. Because it is actually, when somebody has a negative belief about themselves, it is only past experiences that have caused them to think like that and it's their choice whether they decide to actually carry on thinking like Mm -hmm. that for the next 50 years or they could actually decide that they change the way they're thinking so there is a choice there isn't there Mm -hmm. yes there is and there's something else I wanted to tell you too so uh, one one of the other things that has made the biggest part of my recovery possible is and I tell this to everybody, it does not matter how many hospitals you go in, whether it's the best hospitals out there or the, you know, off the wall, worst places possible, or how many treatment centers, how many therapist offices or whatever you sit in. None of that matters if you don't want recovery for yourself. You know, you could sit, I have sat in some of the best places and I didn't want it for me. So, I mean, yeah, I worked the program. I learned stuff, but I got out and went right back to where I was because I didn't want recovery for me. I was going for my kids. I was going for my husband. I was going for every other reason but me. Until you get to the point where you want recovery for yourself, I'm not saying that any of that other stuff doesn't matter because it does. You know, you continue to fight regardless you know, even if you're not in the spot where you actually want recovery for yourself, you still continue to fight until you get to that point. 
But once you get to that point, that's when you actually find recovery. You know, that's when you will actually, you know, they're all uh, treatment and stuff like that as stepping stones. They're tools to be used, but that's not where the core lies. You know, the core lies in you. You have to want it for you. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a really good point. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's why, you know, I told, I told my uh, son a couple of weeks ago, I was talking to him, uh, little Terry, I was talking on the phone and I apologized to him for not finding, you know, uh, recovery when they were kids because they, they missed out on a lot, you know? Yeah. I was the active mom and stuff, you know, but I was also the real sick mom. I was also the mom that, you know, was so far on so many pills and I was on 28 different meds for crying out loud, you know, like I was not functional. So, you know, my, my biggest regret is not finding recovery when they were young. And he told me, he said, mom, he said, everything has a purpose. He said, there's a reason you weren't, you weren't well then. He said, I'm just glad that you're doing good now, you know? And I'm just like, oh, (laughs) like, what did I do to deserve my kids? (laughs) Like, I love them. Oh, wow. But yeah, it is. Mm Mm-hmm. And I think that's pretty much how they all look at it now. You know, I mean, yeah, it, life was really tough, but, you know, they look at the, they look where I'm at now. And, you know, I didn't start, I didn't even, I didn't actually start feeling as good as I feel until we made the move here to West Virginia. After we made the move to West Virginia is when my recovery really started taking, taking flight. So that was you know? about two years ago. About two years. It'll be two years in May. Is so what, what when we changed moved. when you moved? What um, specifically? Honestly, to, to be totally honest, I believe, I honestly believe in my heart that it has to do with getting away from all that, all those memories. Yeah. You know, we had went back up to visit last year and uh, it was the first time we had went back up to visit and uh we got into like one of the neighboring towns, Greencastle. We were about a half hour away from my hometown. I look out the window and I'm in tears. And my husband looks at me. Terry looks at me. He's like, what's wrong? I said, nothing. I said, I'll, I'll tell you later. You know, Matt told him we got closer to our friends, which is where we were going. It's in Carlisle. And I told him, I said, okay, I said, you want to know what was wrong with me? And he said, yeah. I said, you know, I said, I have been so excited to come back home to PA that you know once we got here I didn't want to be here like all those memories and everything just flooded back and it was like I'm like oh my gosh I don't want to be here I want to go home now I think the West Virginia is home because it's a new start you know it's a little frustrating because I really don't have anybody here that gets it you know my husband gets it he's been through a lot with me you know but um as far as like, you know, there's no real, there's no therapists, you know, around, I have to drive an hour just to go to the Walmart or somewhere for groceries, you know, therapy for eating disorders. I'm looking at a three hour drive, you know, so it's been just relying on myself to keep myself straight, you know, and my husband, of course. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) 
but and then the other and then the other thing too that's made a difference is i'm surrounded by the most beautiful parts of the world like i love trees i'm a big tree person and i've got trees all around me i've got bear that come in my front yard i've got deer in my backyard i've got turkeys i've got all the critters i could want and i just i love being out in the nature so it's perfect fabulous and then you're you're an (laughs) artist as well Yes. So what sort of art is it? Um, I paint. I'm an oil painter. I used to, I worked with, I always, I always watched Bob Ross when I was a kid. I like love Bob Ross. He's awesome. But uh, so I've always had the, you know, inkling for art. Uh, When I started going inpatient, I started using it more as a coping skill. And when I got out of the hospital, you know, my husband would take me out and buy me a couple thousand dollars worth of art supplies. And I'd have all the paint and canvases and brushes. And, you know, after meals, I would sit down at the table and I would paint. That was my way of getting through that rough time, you know. And uh, I worked with acrylics until I think 2015. And then in 2015, I switched over to oils. Well, I love working with oils. It's like, just, I just love it. And then when we moved here, I started, I wanted something a little different to paint on than canvas. So I went to painting metal saw blades. So I've been painting those for the last two years. And because I'm in a better spot emotionally and my art is, I use my art as coping. So Elizabeth, so you're painting saw blades. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Hang on, hang on. So what, like, like a saw and the blade bit? You're painting that. Yeah. Yep. Oh, I love it. Love it. Wow. Yeah, I, I take the I take the old rusty saw blades so and I people, sand them down. If people wanted to see pictures of your saw blades that you'd painted, are they? How would they find you? Um, I am on Instagram, Dizzy Lizzie's Creation seventy six. And I have a, uh, I, well, under Facebook, like I have my Dizzy Lizzie's creations and that's my Facebook art page. Right. So I don't actually have a website yet. I'm working on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's kind of old hat now website, isn't it? <laughs> people, <laughs> right. Or Instagram. <laughs> right. So how can people find your, um, arise from ashes? Um, right. so that's honestly, I don't even know. So if they put yes, in, that's in on YouTube. Rise from Ashes on into YouTube, they'll be able to find you, won't they? They, sh- they should be able to, yeah. It'll be, and they'll see a black and white video because that's all I do them in. And like I said, I just started that. So there's only like three videos on yeah. it. Yeah. You know, they might be interested in having a listen and watch. And right, yeah. From you because, you know, I think you've been a real inspiration to others here today elizabeth and you know thank you hear your stories and how far you've come it's just amazing how well you've done thank you yeah that's kind of that's kind of the purpose i mean that's kind of why i try to reach out as much as i do because i have come so far and i was at such a bad place and you know i'm i think i had told you before like i'm writing i'm in the process of writing an autobiography a story of my life and my journey and not because i want to not because i want to like make it known what people did or you know whatever but just because i want people to see that you know it's possible to rise from those ashes of destruction and turn what is what was turned into something horrible into something beautiful yeah, you know, 
And that's how I look at my life. I look at my life as something beautiful because it is, you know, everybody's life is. You better get real. (laughs) I want to read it. (laughs) You better get wrong. It's, it's, it is actually, it does. It's taking a while. Like I started it a couple years ago. My husband was a truck driver. I started a couple years ago. We were in the truck and I was going to just start writing the book first. Well, first thing I came up with was the name, you know, the the name of the book is going to be my life, my giant, because my entire life, my biggest giant to overcome has been my life. Yeah. yeah. So that's the name yeah. of the book. And I've got, I don't know, I've probably got like 30 pages, 30 or 40 pages so far, but I have to, it's one of those things where I start writing. And even if I'm not writing about anything traumatic, it still brings that back. And then I end up having flashbacks for a couple of days. So I got to take a break away from it and step back so I can get myself back to where I need to be emotionally and mentally. So it'll, it'll take a while. (laughs) Fantastic. Well, Elizabeth, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Really interesting getting to know you and hearing your journey. And you are, you're a great inspiration to others. Thank you. Thank you. You are welcome. So, okay. So, well, that's all for today's episode of uh, Bulimia Sucks. So thanks for listening. And thank you, Elizabeth, for joining us and sharing your journey. So join us again on the next episode of Bulimia Sucks and make sure you subscribe to the podcast on iTunes so you never miss an episode. Plus, if you haven't already heard about it, check out my book called Bulimia Sucks, which is on Amazon. Um, And well, thanks for listening and listening to this podcast. And before you go, show some love, your favorite podcast by leaving us a review on Apple Podcasts. So make sure you also join our Facebook group, Bulimia Sucks, if you haven't already, where it's great to connect, like Elizabeth was saying, with like-minded people, only taking the positives there. (laughs) So thanks for listening. And I look forward to speaking to you on the next podcast. Bulimia sucks, but you don't. Kate has just released a new best-selling book called Anxiety Hacks with proven techniques, tools, and tips to calmness. Check it out now on Amazon.